You're listening to the Distinctive Christianity Podcast, where we clarify distinctions between Mormon and Credo Christian thought. I'm Brendan, here with... Skylar. And we, uh, man, we've got a big one today. Uh, Galatians. Yes. In a day. (laughs) In an hour. Lord willing. So, yeah. (laughs) That's a lot. It is. (laughs) I don't even know what to say here. Galatians in a day. Yeah. It's like we've talked about the, uh, yeah, the norm in our circles is to take, you know, months on Galatians when we're studying through it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so. I've got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, So you have a podcast feed now for starting whenever you had it, right, with the Colossians series. Yeah. It may, may, we we may go back and get some older stuff on there eventually. Collect them. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Sometimes there's just like technical difficulties, you know. No, a couple weeks ago, there was a. the mic, the microphone didn't get turned on, which in our little sanctuary isn't a problem. Yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah. Uh, you really don't notice if the microphone's not on in our mm. little sanctuary because I preach pretty loudly. Correct. So, <laughs> just great. That's right. It's just great. Um, I get a little fired up, and uh, our chapel is not very big. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so there's probably some, and then the there we've had just some weird like buzzing and some of them, and I don't know. So yeah. we'll I don't know see. that all of them will go up. And it's a lot of work to get them up. I no, I got to go it. back. It's another and thing to add. You got to like list. rip the audio off of the video and then drag it in an audio file and then get it uploaded. So, do you remember how many weeks you spent in Galatians? Um, I don't. Okay. Yeah, but it was. I what, could probably almost find a year. Out. I mean, if anybody is, if anybody wants to go, like all of them are up on YouTube. Yeah. So that's uh. They're not on the podcast feed, but they should mostly be up on YouTube unless there was a week when they didn't get recorded, which happens every once in a while. But I don't even know because I, I, you know, we we when I got to the fruit of the spirit, I actually broke every individual attribute of the fruit down yeah. one by one. So I did one sermon for each of them. So that took what nine weeks um, to get through those. And then, in addition to that, I mean, it had to be a year. Mm-hmm. I I have no idea. Anyway, point being, that's what you can do in a book like this. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I'm going even slower in Colossians right now. Um, oh, so so I don't know what the trajectory of my life is in terms of how that's going to work. I'm still a very young preacher, you know. Mm-hmm. I've only been preaching on a weekly basis for, I don't know, three years, four years. Something like that. Only two years here, so... Anyway, we'll see. Yeah. Maybe, maybe at the point where just do one word at a time, one letter at a time. One le- <laughs> I think Bart Lloyd Jones did that. We're going to talk about the bottom right hand corner of this H here. It forms a circle, yes. which is the circle of life. Every time that was used and what you can find. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably too slow. But anyway, well, okay. How's your week been? I mean, little little rough. Yeah, a little rough. Um, yeah, I had a 
Um, one of my first Christian friends when I was in kind of post-Mormon malaise, um, yeah, from Burma. In fact, he was um, here in refugee status because um, his town, which were all evangelical Christians, going back to, what's his name? I, I hear how he would say it, Jetson. Judson. Judson, yeah, Adoniram yeah. Judson. Yeah, in Burma. Um, and, of course, uh, the Buddhists there hate the Christians. And so the military came in and, you know, killed a bunch of people. And, yeah, so uh, pretty sad. But he was just on fire with the Bible, and I'll, I'll never forget him. You know, we were talking, whatever. We both worked in the early morning, and um He's like, are you, are you Mormon? And you know, I didn't know how to answer that exactly. I'm like, not a member of the LDS Church at that point. And um, it, you know, it was like, no. He's like, oh man, they believe in more than one God. It it's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear this guy just feel, it's crazy. The God yeah. teaches, you know, the Bible teaches there's only one God. Like they don't get it, you know. Mm. And um, he would always come over and share little insights from his Bible study and. Anyway, yeah, I'll be attending his funeral on Saturday, which I hope will be in the same building I was baptized in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure because there's two places that yeah Burmese Christians meet in Salt Lake, right? And, and uh, anyway, yeah, uh, may he rest in peace. You know, his name was Nall, mm-hmm. and um, just yeah, very sad. Died yesterday. Do you know what his ethnic group was? I wish I knew more specifically. Um, Kachin, does that sound familiar at all? It, it could have been. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, the, there's a whole group of them from this one town, right? And and interestingly enough, I also met one who wasn't a believer at all, but his dad was a doctor who wouldn't refuse medical care to Christians, and therefore was tortured and killed. Mm. And so he was here, and it's just kind of funny the political kind of revolutionary left over there. They love Christians. Yeah, and it's like. So it's such a different paradigm than here where the left hates Christians, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> there they love Christians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, but he, he really, he was friends with them and all and all that. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, I, I need to read the book over there that you, you mentioned. Yeah. To uh, the golden shore. Yeah. an arm Judson. You want to talk about a guy who suffered for the sake of the advance of the gospel. I mean, it's crazy. He had uh, three wives and I believe, not at not at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Clarify with that. Yeah. yeah, and not sealed to them <laughs> That's simultaneously. Right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all three died on the mission field just from things that were directly related to the harsh conditions of a Western person traveling, or or it just would be there's just be a lot of diseases and things that their body wasn't acclimated to, and they get it, and uh, he lost children. I mean, just all sorts of stuff, and uh, pressed on and preach the gospel and there's people in America now telling you yeah. that you should believe in the true God because yeah. Adonai Judson was faithful to suffer yeah, he for the sake of Christ. I'll never forget the morning, the early morning he brought a picture of him and he showed me the original, like a copy of, of you know, a published version of the original translation and the mm-hmm. steps he went through. Yep. And he, like they just love this guy. Yeah. And yeah, when I heard what they went through, for their religion, it helped me. It kind of broke my impression of what American evangelicalism was mm-hmm. when it compared to what it is more generally. Yeah, and it was just very helpful. And just to meet these people, you know, 
they just no, and they, they they still don't deny the faith. It's not like that didn't stop them, right? Yeah. They're they're fleeing to Malaysia. I mean, I just yeah, I had so much. I I still do, obviously, and that just past yep. tense. Yep. So much respect for these yeah. people, and I. I um I look forward to Saturday, even though I may not understand much. Yeah, for sure. The service will not be in English. I do wonder. You know, we we have a sister in our church. I probably have to text and and check in, but she's she's uh from Burma as well, and uh, she had just connected actually with a group of Christians up there, and yeah. found out that there's uh, like people from her same her, her same particular. You know, there's several ethnic groups within. Mm-hmm. Myanmar, but anyway, um, she's she's a she's great, but same same sort of thing. Just a lot of admiration for Judson, and uh, she just graduated uh, law school at wow. BYU, and is uh, hopefully going to be able to do some stuff to help out her home country. But we'll see. So yeah, she wow. brought uh, she brought crickets to lunch a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Were they good? Yeah, I tried one. It's you actually, tried? <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. It, it was, uh, it was, it was, yeah. I mean, it's, I it, tastes, tried it tastes like a kind of spicy chip. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, oh, I don't know why we don't eat bugs around here. It's just one of those weird things that we get in our head that it's, uh, not okay, but yeah, man, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. Yeah, we're, I, we're, we're good. I miss that too. They would sometimes do little, bring little treats or little dishes. Yeah. They always would include me. Like they're just kindest people ever. Oh yeah. You know, and even after he, moved to a different location he would call on my birthday Mm -hmm. and yeah one of my last texts with them was just you know it's good to hear from you brother yep and i just love that that brother is true yeah it was not true when he first started talking to me yeah and um i yeah i just um may rest in peace and may god save him and i i hope to see him again yeah amen all right, well, let's get on into Galatians here and see how much ground we can cover in 50 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, sorry. All right, we're going to plow through all of the sections in terms of me just kind of laying out what's going on here in the curriculum, and then we're going to jump in and just kind of tackle some stuff piece by piece. So once I hit this up, we'll, uh, well, I'll kick it over to you, and you can fill in some of the LDS thought and things that you've read okay. and been studying on the, the way that they deal with Galatians. So, okay. Um, Typical, record your impressions uh, at the front end, encouraging the teachers, the Lord's going to teach you, record your impressions. They say recording your impressions shows gratitude to God for his help, which is interesting because biblical gratitude, of course, is a response to the objective acts of God in history as have been laid out in, in particular in the Bible is salvific acts. And here we just kind of show gratitude for impressions that we get for impressions. And notice too, uh, as you prayerfully read and ponder it, the Lord will teach you what you need to share with your class. Yeah. Yep. Um, then you get in the invite the sharing, which is a typical, uh, share their experiences number. And then we get into the teach the doctrine. And in the first section of teach the doctrine, they have a number of different passages that you're supposed to read and reflect on to think about the subtitle that they're giving us. And the subtitle on this is the gospel of Jesus Christ offers liberty. So there's your theme that they're focusing on is the concept of liberty and the gospel of Jesus Christ, whatever it is that they say that that is offers liberty. And to reflect on this, you're supposed to look at Galatians 1, 6 to 7, 3, 1 to 5, 
4, 8 to 21, 5, 1, and 5, 13, and 14. So a broad uh, range of verses there from all over the book of Galatians and very selective in terms of what they want, want right. you to read. And uh, then they go on to say, the under this subsection, studying any book of Scripture is easier when we know why it was written. For this reason, it might be good to begin your discussion about Galatians with a question like, what do you think Paul's purpose was in writing this epistle? Or what problem has Paul is was Paul trying to solve? Invite class members to look for clues in Galatians 1, 6-7, and the, the, they list the verses. How is Paul's message relevant to us today? And then they go on and say, some Galatian saints thought they needed to continue living the law of Moses. To Paul, this was like living with a yoke of bondage compared to the liberty Quotations. that Jesus Christ yep, offers us. In, uh, in, they say you see that in Galatians 5.1. To help class members, uh, or to help members of your class explore Paul's teachings about freedom and bondage, you could ask them to name attitudes and actions that limit our spiritual growth and progress, such as cultural practices, bad habits, false beliefs, or focusing on outward actions rather than inward conversion. According to Galatians 5.1.13-14, how do we find freedom from these attitudes and actions? How do we experience? How have we experienced the liberty found through Jesus Christ? How could we respond to someone who feels that living the gospel limits personal freedom? So that's the whole thing. I just read you the yeah. whole section there that is in the curriculum, and uh, yeah, we're we're going to get into some of that here in just a little bit. Now, there's two other sections, and both of them are very comparable to one another. And this is very telling as far as what they skip and decide not to focus on and what they do decide to focus on. So they skip all the way to chapter uh, 5, and they put that we should read Galatians 5, 16 to 26. Now, if you're not familiar with that particular passage of Scripture, 5, 16 to 26 is the passage that covers the uh, desires of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And they love this fruit of the Spirit passage. This is one of their, their favorites. And uh, really, it's like their epistemological basis in terms of how you know what is true. Well, are you showing the fruit? Yeah. Um, so they say, uh, the subtitle under the section, if we walk by the Spirit, we will receive the fruit of the Spirit. So walking by the Spirit means we receive the fruit of the Spirit. If then. That's right. And that's going to be an important thing to point out once we get in diving into this. They say many people struggle to recognize the influence of the Spirit. Galatians 5 can help. Maybe you could ask class members to search Galatians uh, 5, 22 to 25 to find the words Paul used to describe the fruit of the Spirit. Why is fruit a good metaphor for the way the Spirit influences us? Perhaps class members should share how this fruit has been evident in their lives or the people that they know. And uh, then they go on and say, explore some different resources, including a quote from Hinckley, Gordon B. Hinckley, which says this, You recognize the promptings of the Spirit by the fruits of the Spirit, that which enlighteneth, that which buildeth up, that which is positive and affirmative and uplifting and leads us to better thoughts and better words and better deeds is of the Spirit of God. So if it's cute, it's true. Pretty much. And then we get into Galatians 6 for the last subsection, and here they want us to read Galatians 6, 7 to 10, which is a passage that is on the idea of sowing to the flesh or sowing to the Spirit. 
And they say, when we sow to the Spirit, we will reap blessings in due time. Studying these verses could help class members think more deeply about the long-term consequences of their choices. To help them, you could bring seeds of various kinds along with plants, fruits, or vegetables that grow from each of that that grow from each of these seeds, or you could bring pictures of these things. Class members could work together to match each seed with the thing it produces. Then they would uh, they could read verses seven to ten and talk about what it means to sow to the flesh and to the spirit. And then they say there's another uh, quote here that could help them as they're thinking about these things from Elder Ulysses Soares. I don't know exactly how you say Suarez, that. Suarez. Yeah, uh, and here's what the quote says. To sow in the spirit means that all our thoughts, words, and actions must elevate us to the level of the divinity of our heavenly parents. Our heavenly parents. That's how. All. However... <laughs> The scriptures refer to the flesh as the physical or carnal nature of the natural man, which allows people to be influenced by passion, desires, appetites, and drives of the flesh instead of looking for inspiration from the Holy Ghost. Some class members may feel weary. This is getting back to the curriculum. Some class members may feel weary, weary and well-doing. That's referencing Galatians 6, 9, perhaps because they aren't sure their efforts are bearing fruit. And so maybe you could discuss things. And uh, to introduce these verses, you can invite someone in the class to talk briefly about a time when he or she needed patience when trying to grow something. What could this person's experience, along with Galatians 6, 7 to 10, isn't that fascinating? Uh, person's experience, experience along on, with Galatians. On the same level as the text. Yeah, teach us about our efforts, our efforts. to walk in the Spirit. All right, so that's all you get in the Sunday School Manual on the Book of Galatians. And uh, yeah, pretty predictable if you know LDS thought as far as what they're going to focus in on. Pretty telling if you know LDS thought as well on what they choose to skip over and not highlight within the lesson itself. Uh, Galatians is a hammer for LDS doctrine. Um, it, It just, if you really understand Galatians rightly... The Apostle Paul demolishes uh, an LDS worldview um, with the book of Galatians. And so if you're going to try to appeal to this as one of your scriptures, um, you've got to deal with the the way they dealt with it, which is to uh, be evasive on the things that are too direct and highlight the things that they feel can can fit in with their worldview. So um, what you got here, Skylar? Okay, well... First off, they, this is a master class in how to focus on everything you can attach to a word or a phrase without ever dealing with the point. Um, and second to the virgin birth episode, this is probably the most consistently LDS lesson. Um, and in the same way that the virgin birth episode handled it, it has absolutely nothing to do with Paul's point. They, they never go, they never even in their the Sunday school manual or seminary manual define gospel. So I had to do some searching for them. And so let me just throw a few definitions out. Um, here's a pretty standard definition of what the gospel is, right? And the whole point is 
another gospel. And if even an angel from heaven delivers another gospel. Yeah, which they reference that verse. So that's coming from <laughs> right. that's coming from Galatians 1, 6, and 7. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So they reference yes. that in that first section where they're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ offers liberty. Right. Then there's only one, and it's the one he's preaching, right, that the Judaizing heresy is threatening. Well, what is what is the gospel according to Mormonism? Well, here's here's just a standard definition I found. The gospel of Jesus Christ comprises fundamental principles and ordinances that must be followed to obtain a fullness of salvation. Right? The first steps are faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, the laying on of hands by one who is in authority for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Additional ordinances are administered in the temple. This gospel plan was prepared from the foundation of the world and contains provisions for people of every time and circumstance, including little children who die in infancy and adults who die in ignorance of the plan. Okay, um, here's a little more official source. So here's a little true to the faith manual that used to be a big deal. I don't, I don't know about it anymore, but um, it has a first presidency letter from the, in the, on page one, right? So I think it's pretty standard. Well, here's this, the reference on gospel. The gospel is our Heavenly Father's plan of happiness. The central doctrine of the gospel is the atonement of Jesus Christ. The prophet Joseph Smith said the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are, and it goes through the same list, laying on a hand, you know, so, you know, first four, uh, based on Articles of Faith 1-4. In its fullness, the gospel includes all the doctrines, principles, laws, ordinances, and covenants necessary for us to be exalted in the celestial kingdom. The Savior has promised, in the Book of Mormon, of course, mm-hmm. so their Savior, has promised that if we endure to the end, faithfully living the gospel, he will hold us guiltless before the Father at the final judgment. I hope people caught that. So if you live in such a way that you are guiltless before the Father, then Jesus will certify you. The fullness of the gospel has been preached in all ages, at all times, and has been restored through the prophet Joseph Smith. Okay. What about the first presidency? Have they ever defined it? And I want to, you know, we've covered this several times, of course, whenever the gospel is laid out, right? Like in 1 Corinthians 15, it's about Christ, right? How he was incarnate for us, born, you know, um, born of a woman. Notice they also skip Galatians 4, the most important part. <laughs> Where yeah. it talks of the incarnation, God sending his son, right? They, well, they do tell you to read Galatians 4, 8 to 21. Right. Interestingly. I think it skips the... Yeah. Yeah, it's it skips the part on yeah, Paul, Jesus. Yep, yep, Paul's <laughs> concern for the Galatians. Yeah, that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And yep. because you are his sons, God has sent forth his son. So even here, right? He's telling them to lean into Christ, and who's this Christ? Mm-hmm. God, born of a woman, right? His son, born of a woman. Um, which, by the way, if that's not for the gods, uh, why does that have to be said? Yeah. Like, I would never have to say, Brandon, when you came to our city, born of a woman. Right. right? Showing uh, there's more to Jesus than that. <laughs> yep, yep. But if the God, you know, but at the same time, the Mormon worldview doesn't allow for that. Yeah. There is no creator-creation distinction. Yep. The, everything is eternally existing matter. Yep. So, and that's where their story starts getting into the law, and that's why they focus on impersonal consequences. Here's the first presidency. 
Okay, for those who are like, okay, well, that's just a manual. Okay, here's the first presidency. And remember, the gospel being about Christ. Here's how they talk about it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, oh, that sounds pious, teaches that man is eternal, that he lived as a spirit before he came to earth, and that after death he will be resurrected and will dwell in a place of deter- in a place determined by how he kept his mortal estate, meaning how obedient, how much knowledge, apparently how much experience now. Every man may choose for himself whether or not he wishes to live forever with God or be cast out of his presence. That's the good <laughs> That's the good news. One of the principles of the gospel is that family will continue as an eternal unit where true love exists between husband and wife. It is most comforting to know that through a special ordinance of the Holy Temple, a man and wife are sealed for time and all eternity, and the children born of the union will be with them forever. How glorious. First presidency message, October 1978. And, of course, once again, to show that not only are they declaring this is the gospel, but they're saying this is the only way, right? We also declare that the gospel of Jesus Christ, restored to his church in our day, provides the only way to a mortal life of happiness and a fullness of joy forever. For those who have not received this gospel, the opportunity will come to them in the life hereafter, if not in this life. So notice they start their story with man before this life, born into this life, how they obey and acquire knowledge in this life and do the ordinances and all that. And then, of course, after this life and about being exalted and all that. So here's one more that I'll include and then jump into their lesson on this is, um, as is usual, I think, John A. Woodso does a good job of thinking through in a more rationalistic way what Mormon theology demands. And he has a chapter called Eternalism, and this is where he has the section on the gospel, which he calls the eternal plan or the great plan. Mm-hmm. Once again, because it's it's law. It, right. It's not some supernatural message that needs to come and confront us in our hearts where you know you look in and, and there's law. No, no, no. It's all law. Mm-hmm. It's just levels of law. So here's his description of the gospel. The gospel itself, the so-called plan of salvation, so-called plan of salvation, or great plan in obedience to which men guide their earth lives is eternal. It is not a temporary or transient thing made primarily for the handful of men and women on earth, but it is an eternal plan based upon the everlasting relationships of the elements of the universe. A plan which in some form is adapted everywhere and forever to the advancement of personal beings. This must be so, for as it leads always to the same definite end, in accordance with the law of cause and effect, it must have a universal meaning. And though it's not this clear in the manual, this is where they're going to go. And he even says, once again, the gospel, is it founded on the grace of God to save sinners in Christ? No, the gospel is founded on tangible and eternal things and relationships. These eternal realities, no doubt, in their essence, lie beyond the full understanding of man, just as time and space transcend human understanding. Nevertheless, this conception carried far enough leads to a gospel or life philosophy gospel or life philosophy which is unshakable because it rests upon eternal certainty the gospel may be said to be the philosophy of eternalism the gospel is immersed in the ocean of eternity and i would say yeah the lds gospel is just that Hmm. so i it and once again you could even cite joseph smith where he talks about 
you know, and I, I read this to you right before, I'll include it in the show notes, we don't have time for it, but in one of his last sermons, right, he's laying out eternally existing law and being obey, obeying, and if you obey the law of the gods, you become gods, all that. Uh, you know, the, the very Nauvoo period, Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. And then he'll throw in there, oh, and by the way, any other gospel, right? Yeah. He'll, and he'll he'll allude to Paul's words, but he'll use the words yeah. of that. Yeah. So once again, it's it's law. It's yeah. not gospel. He speaks as if he's Paul. Yeah. I, yeah. Give, <laughs> I give you the gospel. If anyone tells you a gospel other than what I proclaim to you, yes, let him be accursed. Yep. Um, he says that. Mm-hmm. And the irony, of course, from our perspective... And from Paul's perspective is that Joseph Smith is doing the very thing that Paul is warning against. Right. He says that right after that there are many mansions for those who obey a celestial law and there are other mansions for those who come short. Every man, man blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and it, another book I'll, I'll put in the show notes, The Great and Abominable Church of the Devil by H. Verlin Anderson. He was a member of the 70. He was, um, I think, an underrated LDS thinker. Um and they kind of want to get away from him now. But anyway, he has a section where he talks about agency and liberty. And, that, and why that matters is, once again, the heading of this section for them is the gospel of Jesus Christ offers liberty. Mm-hmm. So what's the basis of that liberty? Well, the gospel is eternally existing law, right? And you need to live in accordance to it to progress and become more godlike, which will involve more power and more freedom. Then that means... Basically, you need to have knowledge of the law, and then you need to obey it. Yeah, and that's what Jesus is offering. Yeah. That that is the Mormon Jesus, and we'll get into this more on the Philippians episode. We did it on the John one episode, but of course, we'll have to bring it up again. Holland's utilization of Philippians to say that Jesus came to show that it's not robbery to be God. Yeah, that is what they mean. It, yeah. it is basically the higher up gods, the people who have made it further. Their goal is, of course, the glory of man. And that is by teaching them more about the law so that man can obey better yeah. and achieve greater results with the knowledge they now have. Yeah. And maybe that's a way to summarize it. But um, it, there's a book called Eternal Man by Truman Madsen. This is their kind of philosopher guy. I, I, I haven't seen him mentioned much lately, but I feel like he's one of the Mormon thinkers that's maybe borderline overrated because he went to Harvard or whatever. But um, anyway, maybe he's just, just right rated. Yeah. I honestly, I wish you would give more credit to Woodso because Woodso is better. Anyway, I think at thinking through this, even though Woodso didn't have the philosophy background, he did have a science background, but I I read some of this to you before he has a, a chapter called freedom and fulfillment. Right. And that's all about the freedom of man. And, and uh, he says about says things like this, with this doctrine of freedom is a doctrine of destiny. Man's nature includes not only the innate possibilities of prime intelligence, but also the embryonic nature of his eternal father. And you'll notice too, when they cover Galatians 5 and 6, and, and you know, let the imperatives swallow up any indicatives, or really, that's what Rome does. They only focus on indicatives. There are, or sorry, only focus on imperatives. I mean, there are no indicatives other than law for Mormonism, right? Rome has a half gospel, therefore no gospel. My, my question, I'm not saying I have the right answer to this, is in LDSism, is it even in the range to be considered um, heresy? In other words, is it so foreign that it's not even heresy anymore, right? 
Mm-hmm. And of course, heresy, people say, why are you using that word? Uh, Paul used that word, anathema, yeah. Yeah. cursed, be yeah. the one who, who do this, right? Now, here, once again, it's man's embryonic nature of his, of his eternal father. This is the basis by which we have freedom. Why? Um, where he talks, many have died for the four freedoms. Of course, this is a generation when he wrote, published this book that no FDRs for freedoms. But more precious still is a freedom for freedom for turning it up. Uh, for turning external pressures into internal gains, freedom for becoming what we have it in us to become, the emergence of our authentic selves. That's a positive. Yeah. <laughs> that if, if you were reading, um, you know, a Christian magazine or something like that, that would be a negative. That would it would be a commentary on how gnostic our culture is no here that's a positive and once again though he combines it with law there that the law is the guarantor of freedom because that's if the law is eternal and we know those eternal laws then we know if we do this we get that we if you if you arrive at a state that is this you'll achieve that i mean it's law of cause and effect is the gospel more than anything you see in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and just the the last line that I'll include from Madsen, right? Made in, in imitation of the divine, man's free agency is the boldest, most powerful, most sweeping, and most exciting commitment possible. Do you hear that? The authentic self. Made in imitation of the divine, man's free agency is the boldest, most powerful, most sweeping, and most exciting commitment possible. Mm-hmm. For if we will... Our destiny is to become more and more free in the widening circles of fulfillment called eternal life. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's hard to almost know where to go with this. So, um, because it's, it's, uh, how about Genesis? How about we start in Genesis? Cause I'm just trying to think of how to even order this sort of thing and responding to the LDS worldview, but Genesis chapter three, Mm-hmm. And you got to remember, from a credo Christian perspective, the fall is never uh, to be seen as this wonderful thing that mm-hmm. happened. It's no, devastating. I don't know how anyone looks at the end of the chapter and sees it as better yeah. than the, yeah. the end of chapter two. Yep, Genesis three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God actually say, 'You shall not eat from any tree of the garden'?" And the woman said to the serpent. We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that It was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of his fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. What's going on here? Well, fundamentally, what's going on is that Adam and Eve are creatures that were created by a God who is unlike them eternally. And they were given a law from God in the garden that they were to obey. Don't eat of this fruit. If you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. 
And that shows us that as creatures, they're created to be dependent upon, yes, the law of this God, this real personal God who created them. And so they are made to be dependent, to be uh, obedient to his commands, to his law. Uh, they, They are not made to seek to be outside of his command or outside of his control or outside of his kingship or outside of dependence upon him. And yet the very sin that they commit, you see a Satan telling them, God, God just, he's got, he's got something he's hiding from you. There's something that you really want that you don't yet have. And that something is the ability to be just like him and knowing all things. And so they sin and the fundamental nature of that sin is they sought human autonomy. Yep. They sought to be separated and divorced from God's rule, from his sovereignty, from his law, from his reign. Um, and in seeking their autonomy from the God who made them, uh, they fell into sin. And every person who has been born into Adam naturally pursues the same thing. We pursue life outside of God's rule. Uh, we, we pursue our own agenda. We pursue what we want. And so every person who's ever lived naturally does exactly what the LDS Church says the gospel is. Yeah. Seeks to bring out this authentic self by living the way that we want to live, to fulfill our own desires, to fulfill ourself in whatever way that, that may be. And that is... That is nothing more than doing exactly what sin has brought about in in the world. And that's the whole message of the Bible. Our gospel is that in our fallen nature, that's the natural thing we do, is we we seek to live apart from God's dependence. And contrast that uh, to what Paul says the gospel is, which is a message of Jesus Christ taking on flesh, being born of a woman, coming into the world to live in our place, to die in our place, to resurrect in our place so that we can return to a proper dependence upon our God and return to being under his rule once again, rather than seeking to live in our own autonomy. And that's what Paul is getting at in the very heart of Galatians, which is a whole chapter that they totally skip over and don't even focus on. But Galatians Mm -hmm. chapter two, where Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified. What does justified mean? Declared righteous in God's court of law. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in In order order. to be justified. Justified how? By belief, by faith. By Christ through faith. Yep, that's right. In Christ Jesus. Uh, and not by works of the law, because by works of law, no, no one, one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, in other words, if we uh, were justified in Christ and we decided that means we can act however we want, uh, we can live as sinners, is Christ in a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He goes on and says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And we'll get into some of the details of what that means here in just a sec. But listen to verse 20. Paul says, I, now here's what you need to know. All this authentic self stuff that the LDS church is telling you is what true gospel freedom is, is a lie. 
that I there is an emphatic ego. Now, where do we know the word ego from? Ego, egotistical, right? Who is an egotistical person? A person who's trying to live for their authentic self and doesn't care about anybody else in the process. Welcome to every person in the modern world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so Paul is using an emphatic ego there, trying to say, I, big flashers, the I, you could put square quotes, scare quotes around the I, I, the I have been crucified with Christ. So I was once living for myself. I was once living in human autonomy. How is the Apostle Paul seeking to live in hu- human autonomy? By trying to earn his own righteousness according to the works of the law. And he says, the I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, emphatic ego once again, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's Paul saying there? Well, he's saying that in the gospel, when you come to lay hold of Christ, when you come to trust him in his perfect merit and his perfect righteousness as all that you need in order to be credited righteous before God, when you come to trust him in that process, which is an instantaneous process in terms of how we experience it in, in real real time. But in that process, you die. The I dies. The authentic self dies. The self is put into the grave. And your whole identity is enveloped into who Christ is and what he's done for you. You now live your life by faith in the Son of God because of your realization. He loved me and gave himself for me. And so your life is all then now about Christ, about worshiping him, trusting him, bringing him glory, um, praising him in response to a realization of what he has done for you, that he is the means by which you are counted righteous before God, not by your works of righteousness. That's the true gospel. That's the gospel that Paul is preserving and upholding, and he is saying, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one that I brought to you, which is this gospel right here, let him be anathema, cursed, damned. Yeah. Uh, let him go to hell. Yes. If, if he's preaching this gospel, even if an angel Paul from heaven. Saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and notice the next verse. I do not nullify the grace of God. That's right. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That's right. And that right there, if Jesus is who you claim to love. Yep. And you'd have no explanation for the cross in line with the apostolic, the real apostolic witness you do not love him. You love an image of him. You love a fabrication. You love a different Jesus with a different gospel. This is the grace of God. And look how Jesus, look how Paul, it's not just his identity in Christ. He's rooting it in what Christ already has done. Mm -hmm. Past tense. Yep. I was crucified with him. When were you saved, Christian? On a cross 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Right? That's... It, it, this is so like this is so devastating to all of it. They define the gospel as law, and he literally says, he literally says it's the grace of God, not righteousness That's according right. to the law. That's right. And 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 notice this gospel. He said, Paul, an apostle, right, an apostle, not from men nor through man. And of course, a lot of you know, I know this is debated. Some think First Thessalonians, um, Machen argues this is probably the earliest line written of the New Testament. And notice, but through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a line, it, chronologically I mean, right? Yeah. Um, of Jesus 
divinity. Notice, not from men nor through man, yeah. but through who? Jesus Christ. Yeah. He is God. Yeah. He is God. The same God, born of a woman. They don't have they don't have a God. Yep. And therefore, right. when Jesus is God, they just mean a really advanced man. And that's why they'll say, look at all these fruits of the Spirit. Look at all this righteousness in the imperatives. Yeah. Right? And therefore, then jump right. How is Jesus a good example of how you should be that? Yep. It, and so it's salvation by law. Yeah. Um, and, and not even the, the the dignity afforded the law in Scripture. That's right. It's, which, it's which, in logic you know, and science. Yeah. And, and here's the, here's the I- ironic thing. And Get that Ridges quote ready from Galatians two twenty because mm-hmm. I, w- I want you to read that. Got it. But um, they they try to work around the their lack of biblical basis for the things that they're saying by again giving the illusion that they're appealing to the scriptures. And this is something that we pointed out before. But they say studying any book of the scripture is easier when we know why it was written. Yeah. And then they skip on in the next section and say some Galatian saints thought they needed to continue living the law of Moses. That's the problem that they say that's going on here. There were some Galatian saints that thought that uh, that you need to keep living this old law. That's an old law. To Paul, this was like living with a yoke of bondage to be trying to live under the law of Moses compared to the liberty that Jesus Christ offers us. Now, do you see what, what they're trying to say is essentially the law of Moses was just an antiquated law. There was a new law that you actually needed to obey. And somehow that law gives you freedom that the law of Moses never could. So sorry, all of you uh, Old Testament people, you had a law that made you really miserable. Uh, We've got the law that makes you happy. Yeah, leads to happiness and fulfillment. Yeah, and so there's a kind of caricature of the... uh, the law of Moses and Judaism at the time. And of course, in some ways they, they appeal to what we've talked about before, the new perspective on Paul and this sort of stuff. I just want to make clear that yes, there, there's an issue with the law uh, of Moses in, in terms of how some Jews during that t- day were apparently trying to, to uh, teach it. But the issue more deeply than that is that the law was being used to teach that the means by which you are saved is the works of righteousness that you do. So it's the works of righteousness that's really the issue, is if you are relying on your works, the works of the law, you're under a curse. That's the point that Paul makes in Galatians 3. So the the point he's saying is it's relying on yourself. Yeah, It's relying on your law obedience. And in a sense, it's non-consequential whether that law is the law of Moses or some law that you make up under yourself. The point is, if you're relying on works of the law yourself to justify yourself before God, and the irony of it, of course, is that if I'm saying that the God of the Bible is the God that I'm supposed to be working towards, I would prefer uh, to make sure that I'm following his revelation uh, when I'm trying to be obedient versus things that have been made up afterwards that are so far detached from anything that the law of Moses even represented as far as who God is. And yet that's what you have with the LDS worldview. They cre- they have created their own law that is way out in outer space in terms of uh, what the expectations are and how the whole world works and who God is and what God you're supposed to be worshiping and you know all the rest. Uh, versus even those Jews that were trying to follow what has been clearly revealed from the God of the Old Testament and the Torah. Um, and yet, even those Jews are being 
criticized and accursed by Paul for trying to rely on works of the law for their salvation instead of Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is the one who came and fulfilled the law. He's the one who came and lived the perfectly righteous life that was required by God. And, uh, and so anyway, there, there's, there's, you know, I've got, I've got a book here that I think is just really good. Um, it's called, uh, the doctrine on which the church standard stands or falls. And it's a series of a bunch of essays from top notch scholars. And there's a whole chapter in here that is on setting the record straight. And, you know, some people are going to try to appeal to the new perspective on Paul to be able to defend this. And just if, if that's you, uh, and, and you want to say that, uh, there, the issue wasn't, uh, um, works righteousness being the mechanism by which we were saved that that wasn't even some of those existing and i don't even know why they would argue that because they're trying to argue that you need to be saved by works anyway so this is one of those areas where where they they don't they break down in terms of what they want to accept from the new perspective on paul and what they don't but but for those who maybe are interested in the new perspective on paul um, there's a, a scholar named uh, Robert Kara who has an article in this book, and he, he says this. He defines works righteousness theology. He says, a works righteousness theology, and again, this is the theology that Paul is seeking to take down in the Judaizers. He's saying this is a damning theology, and this is how he defines a works righteousness theology. means that one's works are, in part or in whole, the ground by which God the judge declares one righteous and qualified to enter the afterlife. The only way that I would try to better care a statement here is I don't like that he uses the ambiguous term, the afterlife. Right. I wish that he was more He didn't have a Mormon audience in mind. That's right. (laughs) Um, Because it's not about entering the afterlife. Even in in that sense, we're all going to enter the afterlife. It's a question of whether or not we're going to experience what the Bible calls eternal life or eternal death. Yeah. Um, which eternal death is a is still a conscious existence in a state that the Bible calls hell, where yeah. sinners will suffer forever. Um, so the issue, anyways, there's is whether or not you're going to be in heaven with God um, on the basis of whether or not you've been declared righteous. So a works righteousness theology means that one's works are in part or in whole the ground by which God, the Judge, declares the righteous uh, to be justified and qualified to enter the afterlife. Okay. Now, a lot of new perspective on Paul people will try to argue that righteousness in second temple Judaism was not the means by which you got into God's covenant, but that you got in by grace and you stay in by works of righteousness essentially. And so they're trying to say that the, there is not a justification by the works righteousness that you do within Second Temple Judaism. And in this chapter, which is a lengthy chapter, Kara just dismantles that by going straight into Second Temple Judaism uh, works. And, and he makes clear that there were probably some circles of Judaism that were more grace-based, but the, the works righteousness was all over Second Temple Judaism. You know, he, he's saying that there wasn't just one kind of Judaism in Second Temple Judaism right. that dominated the landscape. There were all sorts of pockets of Judaism, and Paul is dealing in Galatians with a particular version of it that the Judaizers are espousing. And so what he's just trying to show is that there was works righteousness, um, and you can find this in Jewish writings that were dated back into Paul's day. And so just one example of that, and I'll just read a few of these, is from a book called For Ezra that was estimated to be written in the late first century, which would have been, of course, in about Paul's time. 
And here are just some words from 4th Ezra. This is from chapter 7, verse 21. For God strictly commanded those who came into the world when they came, what they should do to live and what they should do to observe and avoid punishment. Pretty clear. You need to do this to live. Do this to avoid punishment. That's works righteousness. And then it says in 777, for you have a treasury of works laid up with the most high. And so you need to, you need to get your treasury of works, you know, like stack those up to, to get God's favor. And then another one from fourth Ezra. Now this is the order of those who have kept the ways of the most high. They laboriously served the most high and withstood danger every hour that they might keep the law of the lawgiver perfectly. So that's who the good people are, are the ones who keep the law of the Lord perfectly. The day of judgment is decisive and displays to all the seal of truth. For then everyone shall bear his own righteousness or unrighteousness. For the righteous who have many works laid up with you shall receive the reward in consequence of their deeds. So I could go on and on. He gives tons of examples of just how works righteousness, and not just yeah. from 4th Ezra. He's pulling from 2nd Baruch. He's pulling from the Testament of Abraham. He's pulling from Psalms of Solomon. He's pulling from the rule of community and the Qumran community. Right. He's pulling from lots of sources to try to show there is a lot of works righteousness. And of course, works righteousness is that idea that you merit righteousness in order to gain your future salvation. Essentially, right. you do, you earn that through the righteous works that you do. And uh, what, what he's trying to show is that is what Paul is combating. And that was yeah. present in Paul's day. And that is exactly, if you deal with the text itself, what Paul is trying to teach against exactly. is that sort of relying on works of the law, because by works of the law, we find ourselves under a curse and not within the blessing. Right. And this is in a section they skip in their uh, manual, uh, sorry, uh, Sunday school manual. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Yep. It doesn't, it's not just a ritual you do. It's yep. not just an ordinance you do, right? It, it means something else, and it goes to the heart, and that's why you got to keep reading. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You are severed from Christ. Yep. If you're trying to add anything to the cross, That's right. anything, even something circumc circumcision is not evil. It was revealed by God. Yep. And yet, if even if you try to, the revealed law of God in the Old Testament add to the cross. No, 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 no. You are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. That's why it's key. It's the, the point isn't just the, the circumcision, yeah. right? We see from Acts, the complicated history it has. It's, it's the requirement adding works to grace. Yep. It's, it's a different religion. I love how Machen covers this just really quick. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll skip around. I'll, I'll put the, uh, well, it's in Christianity and liberalism. If you haven't read the book yet, it's a great opportunity to read it. He, he talks about how the difference concerned only the logical, not even perhaps the temporal ordered three steps. Paul said that one, uh, a man, one, first believes in Christ, two, then is justified before God, three, then immediately proceeds to keep God's law, right? The Judaizers said that man, one, believes in Christ, and two, keeps the law of God the best he can, and then three, is justified. The difference would seem to modern practical Christians to be a highly subtle and intangible matter, hardly worthy of consideration at all in view of the larger measure of agreement in the practical realm. Look, we all agree on this. 
What a splendid cleaning up of the Gentile cities it would have been if the Judaizers, Judaizers had succeeded in extending to those cities the observance of the Mosaic Law, even including the unfortunate ceremonial observances. Surely Paul ought to have made common cause with teachers who were so nearly in agreement with them. Surely he ought to have applied to them the great principle of Christian unity. As a matter of fact, however, Paul did nothing of the kind, and only because he and others did nothing of the kind does the Christian church exist today. Paul saw very clearly that the difference between the Judaizers and himself was the difference between two entirely distinct types of religion. It was a difference between a religion of merit and a religion of grace. If Christ provides only part of our salvation, leaving us to provide the rest, then we are still hopeless under the load of sin. For no matter how small the gap, which must be bridged before salvation can be attained, the awakened conscience sees, by the way, with the help of the law there, Mm -hmm. sees clearly that our wretched attempt at goodness is insufficient even to bridge the gap. The guilty soul enters again into the hopeless reckoning with God to determine whether we have really done our part. And thus we groan under the old bondage of the law. Such an attempt to piece out the work of Christ by our own merit, Paul saw clearly, is the very essence of unbelief. Yeah, yeah. Very essence. Yep. Christ will do everything or nothing. And the only hope is to throw ourselves unreservedly on his mercy and trust him for all. And now I know a lot of evangelicals will take on the works righteousness. Mm -hmm. What I hope we've done, and we could do a lot more if we had more time is show that it's, it's a deeper problem than that Yeah, because it's, it's not even in the context of the law as the Bible teaches. Yep which is good. Yeah. It, it, it's no, no. So the sense of identity, the sense of who Christ is, the sense of what law is, and it's in that system that the works are provided. That's why everything is, is, you know, is obedience. So Bruce R. McConkie, when our Lord told the Jews, be therefore perfect, he was speaking of ultimate eternal perfection in his father's kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he makes, McConkie turns Jesus into more of a Judaizer than the Judaizers. Yep, yep. Now, let's just be clear here, because I, I, I think that we should drill down a little bit into some of the things that even Machen is getting into and what you're saying there as well. When we're talking about the bondage that people are in and the liberty that they need, what we're talking about is you're in bondage if your religion is teaching you that the only way that you get salvation is from your own performance according to whatever standard. Now, yes, in Galatians, it's this particular set of works of the law, uh, which would have been the law of Moses. But what I want people to see is it's not that they are relying on the works of the law in some abstract, obscure sense. It's that they're relying on the I. They're relying on yeah. themselves, right. their personal autonomy to will themselves to be as obedient as is necessary according right. to the works of the law for them to earn or merit salvation from God. And I think this is where, if you got that quote from... Packer? Uh, well, I was thinking of, yes, but but I was even thinking of the one from Ridges on Galatians Oh, yes, yes. We got to fit that in here. So, yeah, on the passage you read... Um, it's so beautiful. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Ridge's comment on that. I crucified myself, my old self. Sorry. I crucified my old self with my sins through Christ's atonement. And then on gave himself for me because of Christ's confidence in me. Yep. 
so much in fact that he died for me. No, 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 no. This is heinous. This is so. This I, is heinous. I hope the listener hears. That. Yes, because you, you've got to see that what Ridges is doing is he's saying he wants the credit for his salvation. Yes, he. he I did it. I did it. I did it. And Christ has confidence. And this is exactly <laughs> the sin that leads somebody to rely on works of the law rather than on Christ and his merit. And just a little exegetical textual note for people: when Paul says, "I have been." crucified, that phrase have been crucified in the Greek is a perfect tense passive, meaning that Paul was not the one. He didn't say, I crucified myself. That's the opposite of what he's saying. He's saying that he was passive in this whole process. I have been crucified. God crucified him yes. with Christ. So it's by his union with Christ. So his yep. crucifixion in one sense occurred 2000 years ago on a Roman cross. When Jesus yep. died, Paul died. Yes. The I died. And he becomes enveloped into Christ as his only hope of righteousness, yeah. forgiveness from his sin. So so Paul sees you got to see a deep, deep, deep union and identity with Christ as his only hope for salvation. And ultimately right. Jesus is the one that's going to get the glory because it is through his life, his death, right. his resurrection, his ascension, that the believer is going to know our own death, our own uh, resurrection, our own ascension, and our own glorification into heaven one day in Him. Right, exactly. And and by the way, that takes on another new perspective line that you know, we won't get into. That to think that all we focus on is the forensic. Yeah, that's not true. That's not true of any of the reformers. But anyway, yeah. I whereas you know the idea is you know Paul he introduces several letters. I'm the slave of Christ. We we didn't go have time to go into Romans six, but this idea that oh it. it he pro offers Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ offers us liberty, the autonomous self through obedience to eternally existing law as all gods before. This is the liberty they talk about. And, and they never deal with the, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, yep. of being a slave to Christ. And yet, why is that still liberty? Because he provides the salvation he requires. Yep. That's right. That's why we have freedom in him. The liberty is you don't have to rely on I. No. Trust no. Christ. Whereas that's the freedom. Whereas you know, in you know, Boyd K. Packer, they include this quote in the Galatians five lesson for Sunday school. Listen to this, Boyd K. Packer, who was president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He says this: If you are slipping into things that you should not slip into, right? Notice he doesn't say sin, but okay, you you're not following the rules well enough, or if you are associating with people who are pulling you away in the wrong direction. Of course, my guesses he would include us in that that is the time to assert your independence your agency this is a false apostle mm -hmm. if paul is an apostle this is a false apostle yep and if this is an apostle paul is a false apostle yeah and i hope people hear that here I, one more quote just this is one that most won't know about <laughs> a brigham young quote that it got lost in the you know, dustbin of history, but Brigham Young, who was the second president, he was a Mormon prophet. Um, he said this, and it, he's talking about, um, and I, I read the whole quote to you before. I'll, I'll, I'll include the whole quote in the in the um, show notes. But of course, he's it's a very Mormon quote, right? It's brought together, all, you know, all of matter and intelligences, right? Together, organized, capacitated to receive knowledge and intelligence, to be enthroned, to be made angels, gods, beings who will hold control over the elements, yada, 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 okay? This intelligence must exist. It must dwell somewhere. If I take the right course, 
and preserve it in its organization. I will preserve to myself eternal life. This is the LDS church president. I will, if I do this, this is the greatest gift, the greatest gift, according to Brigham Young, that ever was bestowed on mankind. Was it Christ Jesus and him crucified? No, 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 no. To know how to preserve their identity. Mm -hmm. Because if you have knowledge of the law and have the ordinances and have the priesthood and all that, and all the lives and progression and through the kingdoms and all of that and the different bodies you get, this is early, this is real Mormonism, I would say, <laughs> before yeah. they tried to limit it or whatever into just one life for one kingdom or whatever. No, 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 that's not Brigham Young. Anybody who actually reads Brigham Young knows that's not Mormonism at that time. Yep. But notice, he still, he says, well, what's... What's his biggest fear is like getting lost in the shuffle mm -hmm. of progression and lives and all that. He says, no, the greatest gift that was ever bestowed on mankind is to know how to preserve their identity. Yep. And he even, you know, later says, that's why you'll know Brother Brigham, because yep. I now yep. know enough to, to be, you know, uh, progressed enough that I never will have to lose my identity yep. in the shuffle. And again, contrast that to what we've just seen yes. and said, Paul saying, I'm in Christ, Jesus. My identity doesn't matter anymore. Right, you know, and, and it's not a total. There's not a total loss of personal identity because no. Paul even goes on to use that first person pronoun, who loved me and died for me. So there's not a loss, but spiritually speaking, your salvation becomes totally about what Christ has done, and your identity salvifically yes. is caught up in Him and your union with Him. So it's right. no longer about preserving me and what I've done and my good works. It is a John the Baptist moment of He must become greater. I must become less. Right. Everything and, everything becomes about Jesus. And when we struggle with sin, and we inevitably do, we don't pre assert our independence. We preach Christ dependence. That's right. We we plea for people to lean on Christ and Him crucified, right, for salvation. And to lean into the triune God, yep. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who started the work in us. Yep. to vindicate us on his merits, but sanctify us by the Spirit that leads to the fruits of us? No, that's why it's called fruits of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of our will. It's not the fruits of humanity. It's the fruits of God, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and growth in those areas happens yeah. as we die to self yeah. in the daily and live to Christ, which is really simply a uh, living within the realization of what's already occurred. Yes. <laughs> you know, and that's a significance, by the way, even in that I have been crucified with Christ being a perfect tense. We've talked about the perfect tense on this podcast before. The perfect tense is a tense that we don't have in English. We just have past tense, present tense, future tense. We have a really lame language that doesn't allow us to say all the things that <laughs> Greek allows people to say. The perfect right. tense in the Greek is something that happened in the past objectively. It's a past event, but it has an ongoing effect in the present. And so that's what Paul is saying. I have been crucified, yep. meaning I was crucified with Christ. That, that's something that happened. Like that's objective. It's unchangeable. It's something that happened on the Roman Christ when Jesus died. That's when he died for me and, and my death occurred there. But, but there is a, there's an ongoing realization of the effects that that has on us as we realize that, remember that, reflect on that and, and grow in our understanding of it and grow in our trust in it. And uh, that's what it means to walk by the spirit and not yeah. by the flesh. The flesh in Paul's mind is the self. Yeah. The flesh is to be obsessed with the authentic self right. and to want to, you know, 
live for self. And that manifests itself in sometimes really hyper-religious activity. Yeah. And sometimes it manifests, it manifests itself in really licentious ways of living. But in either case, it's still fleshly. Yeah. It's still selfish living. And, and to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh is to exalt Christ and what He has done, become more dependent on Him, trust Him, worship Him, love Him. Like, everything is about Him. And as as we live that way, we, we walk in righteous works. Right. We walk in the works that He has prepared for us. And yet, they're never the basis of anything. Never. Ever. Never. When it comes it's to Never gave us. No. no. And, and yet, this is how the LDS manual opens Galatians 6. Do you ever wonder if your efforts to live the gospel of Jesus Christ will lead, you, uh, lead to your eternal goals? Paul wrote to the saints in Galatia to help them recognize that how we live our lives each day influences whether the Savior will bless us with life everlasting. This lesson can help you recognize the actions you need to take to achieve your eternal goals. Credo Christianity at its best is Christ-focused, Christ-obsessed. It's the triune God in Christ, right? And all our creeds and confessions at their best, at their most ecumenical, are all about him and what he has done. That's right. Mormonism, at its most consistent, what does it say? Trust yourself. That's right. Lean into yourself. You can do it. Yep. It, declare your independence. Fight for your freedom based on eternally existing laws. Become gods yourselves. That's Joseph Smith said. Yep. And that I don't if if someone on this lesson cannot hear the difference, I I, I I'm at a loss. Because they cannot both be true at the same time. I hope at least someone comes away thinking I've got to make a choice. Mm-hmm. See, th- it's I, and, you know, we, we don't have time to go through all the stuff I, I prep for Galatians 1. But let it suffice to say, like I said at the start, that they will even say, Paul warned the Galatian saints to reject any other gospel, but they never define the gospel. Yep. And they focus on everything except what Paul makes central. They'll even have a section on, you know, did, did Paul teach that we should not listen to messages from heavenly angels? but they won't focus on the gospel and that we are justified by Christ. We are saved by Christ alone through faith. It is the gift of God. And no, none of that. Instead, it's about authority. It's about who the real apostles are and, you know, divinely uh, approved or sorry, divinely appointed sources and how the world defines marriage in other ways. Right. But you can read the family proclamation to the world and see that, you know, it, marriage is defined between a man and a woman, even though, by the way, you can men can still be sealed to more than one woman in the LDS temple to this day, so that's not their definition. They don't really mean it. So, but it's, you know, we can turn to prophets and apostles for truth. And it, it, it's it's seriously, you know, if you see a popular video that contradicts the leaders or you have friends, you know, everything mm-hmm. but the triune God revealed in Christ to save sinners who cannot do it. And he, the gracious king, serves us not because of anything in us, because of but because of everything he is That's right. to save a people from sin. That's it, yeah. not the gospel of Mormonism. It never will be the gospel of Mormonism. Yep. That's right. And that gospel is the foundation of our hope 
and uh, and it, it's the indicative. It's the indicative on which every imperative in the Bible is built. And this King Jesus that you talk about is a, a king who has graciously sent his spirit to us and his spirit indwells us. And uh, this is, you know, the, the, the false idea that we teach that we're saved by grace so we don't have to do anything uh, is just a misunderstanding of the gospel that we preach. And Paul is addressing that misunderstanding as well in Galatians. Well, the Judaizers are saying that if we just say it's Jesus alone, we're going to go live however we want. He says, no, no, no. But but here's just another quick thing. I'll, and this is going to be my last thing to point out because we're okay. out of time. And then I'm going to kick okay. it over to you if you've got any last things you want to okay. say. But they start to focus, again, all, all this fruit of the Spirit, all the so to the Spirit stuff. And, of course, we could spend so – we could do a whole podcast easily on each one of these, multiple podcasts. Um, but they say in the section on if we walk by the Spirit, we'll receive the fruit of the Spirit – they say, why is fruit a good metaphor for the way the Spirit influences us? So in an LDS worldview, the Spirit only influences us. And of course, it's us by our free agency that enact our salvation by the things that we do. So the, the Spirit influences us. Now contrast that to what Paul actually says in Galatians 5.18, which is the passage, of course, we're referring to. Paul says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Go study that word or that phrase, led by the Spirit. And what you're going to see is that is a strong word. That is a, that, that's the kind of word that was actually used for herding animals. So a shepherd with a sheep um, would have led his sheep. And what that means is that sheep is not going to go astray. That sheep is under the actual control Yep. of the shepherd. Yep. And and so the imagery here is you are controlled by the spirit. You know, I've, I've got uh, a uh, four-year-old boy that gets a little Riley. And uh, sometimes if he's not walking where I want him to walk, he starts veering off a little left and I've got him on my, on my side. What I do is I just reach down with my strong hand and I, I kind of just like pull his head gently a little bit over to the right. And I I can pull his head in any direction and it's almost like steering an animal, right? It's just, mm-hmm. it goes where I want him to do. He's under my control. He's, he's, he, you know, he, I'm watching him and he's not going to go astray. He's, he's controlled by me. Well, the, the idea is we are controlled by the spirit when the spirit fills us so that we're, as we are dependent upon him, we're going to, we're going to manifest the fruit of the spirit. Uh, this is God's fruit at work in us. This is God's spirit manifesting his attributes in us as he controls us and comes in. And another analogy I often use that uh, Jesus himself uses, I think in John 14, is the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to clean house. Like he comes in and starts sweeping up. Like yeah. he, he, is, he, sets, he makes a home in us and he begins to, to do his cleansing work. He is the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and this is a work that he does as he controls us, as we uh, increasingly depend upon him, as we hear the gospel, treasure the gospel, love Christ, and, and walk in faithful obedience to him in our daily lives. Um, but not to merit the righteousness. It's uh, to walk in the good works out of love and a realization of what he has done for us. And, uh, and then also in in line with the fact that we have objectively been filled with the Holy Spirit that now begins to control us. So, all right, I'm right. done. What do you got to finish this out? I, I thought it was it would be fitting to 
just read the first five, six verses of the epistle and the last five, six verses of the epistle to really, once again, if it's not clear enough, this Paul is drawing the line and faithful Christian churches ever since have continued to draw that line and say, if you are adding anything to the anything to the gospel, card playing, drinking alcohol at all, I know the Bible condemns drunkenness, but adding things to the gospel as if it's part you know, part and parcel of the salvific part of the Christian life. It's a different gospel, yeah. and uh, let him be accursed. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us, from the present evil age, according to the will of us, no, 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 the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is how he ends it. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Maybe the physical malady may have been his eyesight. Mm -hmm. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross, not the garden, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. All right, next week. We're doing all of Ephesians, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you then.